Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 157 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I may sound a little bit excited, but I'm incredibly depressed at the moment because uh, just yesterday, we're recording this on Monday night, just yesterday, the Duke Blue Devils uh, season ended. Um, our time with Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, and uh, and Cam Reddish, at least, and perhaps some other guys, um, is is over. And that's a really, really sad thing. The Blue Devils fell to Michigan State. Before we get into the discussion about that, um, I want to bring in my partners in crime. Uh, they were both at the game. I, of course, am Jason Evans. I should say who the heck I am. I'm Jason, and my partners in crime are Sam Klein. Sam, back in Durham after a weekend in D.C., right? Yes, that is right. I was planning to stay over last night in Washington, but uh, had enough sort of manic energy at the end of the game that I got in the car and drove back to Durham, got back a little after midnight, went back to school this morning. And uh, yeah, it was it was a depressing day on campus. I think everyone was just sort of walking around with a with sort of a glum mood on people were like it was weird because people were on the one hand acknowledging it, obviously. And on the other hand, I think everyone that I encountered today at school was sort of actively trying not to talk about it uh, while also seeing it on everybody else's face. That sounds about right. Uh, Donald Wine also joining us. Donald is in D.C. all the time. Right, Donald? Well, when I'm here and when I'm not here, I'm not in D.C. But um, I was here yesterday. I was here all weekend. Uh, Sam and I got to hang out on Friday a little bit before the game. So we saw each other. And, and during and, uh, right before the game started uh, inside, we were able to hang out for a little bit. But uh, it was great to have Sam up here. It was great to have everybody up. And we'll talk a little bit more about what this town – looked like um it, it over the weekend but it is sad that this season's over because we had a lot of of great great memories from the season including this past weekend so i want to tell folks you know before we get into our analysis of the michigan state game i want to give folks a little roadmap of what we're going to be going through in this podcast we'll talk about that game we're going to talk about the whole season we're going to look ahead because this past week i got to go to the mcdonald's all-american practices and um, I interviewed uh, some of the players that that uh, will be coming to Duke next season you know really excited uh, just because one season's over you know we we then immediately begin looking ahead um, and and then we're going to our parting shots are going to be a little unusual there's some major stuff that we're gonna be unpacking toward the end of the of the podcast so that's your tease to stick around all the way through everything um, and and by the way, before we get into all this, we are here because of our sponsors. We want to thank them as we always do. Uh, Bird Campbell Law Firm, consistent sponsor throughout the entire year and for a long time here on the DBR podcast. And a little later on, I'll have a special message from Bird Campbell um, directed toward all of us as we lament the end of the season. And then our other wonderful, wonderful sponsor, um, GTHC, GTH.com. Go to Hell Carolina, go to Hell. Um, uh, from our wonderful friend Kenny Denard. And by the way, as far as we're concerned, you can still use the promo code. The code is DBR. So when you go to gthcgth.com um, to order your gear, you can get 20% off with that promo code. And there's never been a better time to buy those Sites on Six t-shirts because just because we lost now, it doesn't mean we don't still have our sites set on title number six we just have to delay, <laughs> just delay a little tiny bit. Um, 
All right, guys. So Wait, was that uh, was is is that a ploy by Kenny? Is was Kenny rooting against Duke in the in these games to I think to keep a, selling those shirts? There's a zero percent chance of that, and I think he would have sold more shirts had we won. Yeah, probably. Um, and true. everybody would get a sights on six shirt. But anyway, uh, on to the game. Uh, the Blue Devils fall to Michigan State, sixty-eight to sixty-seven. Tom Izzo gets his second career win against Coach K. Oh, gentlemen. It was uh, it, it was a, a frustrating game because it was you're playing a great opponent. I mean, look, when the brackets came out, everyone was a little surprised that Michigan State was a wasn't a number one seed. But uh, there's no reason you you're playing a, a lead eight game. You're going to play a great team. That's that's the way it works. You can't complain about your draw at that point. Um, and and I really think the story of the game was turnovers, but I'll get into that in a little bit. I want you guys to unpack what happened <laughs> what happened to Duke in this game um, that we came out on the wrong end of the score. And Sam, I'll start with you. Uh, you want to take offense? You want to take defense? Where do you want to go, my friend? Because there's just a lot to talk about. <laughs> so I think the, the place I want to start is in the first half where Duke – was built a lot of momentum about halfway through the first half. They they got out to I, I think the lead climbed to like nine at one point. Thirty Again, to twenty one. Thirty yeah, to twenty one. It, like, it felt like Duke had had sort of all the momentum. The 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 building was in Duke's favor at that point. Um the, the Duke fans were pretty loud. The Michigan State fans were pretty quiet. The remaining fans, I, I don't know who they were cheering for, but but it felt like Duke had an opportunity there to to sort of pull away and keep Michigan State at arm's length for the rest of the contest, and then Michigan State because they have they have a lot of talented guys themselves. Cassius Winston uh, had an excellent game uh, shooting the ball, but uh, also distributing. They they got right back into it and uh, and, and and managed to. I don't know if they tied it up from Duke having thirty or, or if it or just that they got it close again, but. It, from there, there was sort of a doubt all the way through that Duke may have blown their chance, um, just sort of on the on the momentum, kind of looking more granular at at this game. The hey, hey, Sam, Duke Sam, offense, really, yeah. Sam, really quick. Duke went six minutes without – when Duke got to 30, they then went six minutes without scoring. It stretched to the end of the first half and into the first minute and a half or so of the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. And, and, and by and the way – They took the lead from there, Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they took yep. the lead at halftime. And by the way, Zion Williamson picked up his second foul. And I'm one of those folks with my hand raised saying that is where the momentum went away. And so I, I, I did want to kind of talk about the, the Duke offense because we have we've talked a lot this year about how Duke hasn't exactly figured out a a workable offensive rhythm that that's sort of repeatable. There's a lot of give the ball to Zion and RJ and let them get as close to the hoop as they can. And those guys are probably two of the best finishers that we have ever seen at Duke. So there's, there's an argument that that's a, that's a totally fine offensive system. It's not elegant. It's not the way that coach K has normally coached teams, but it led to two players averaging over 22 points a game for this team. And this team at full strength winning almost all of their games. Uh, the, the only teams they lost to were a number one seed and a team that ended up in the final four. So uh, from that perspective, the offense kind of worked. On the other hand, there were a lot of problems with that game plan when other teams were able to body Duke up. And we said Michigan State's got one of the strongest front courts in the country. They've got 
not just not just the starters, but but multiple bigs off the bench who can match Barrett and Zion size wise, or at least don't get pushed out of the way when when those guys are coming at them. And and we saw it there on Sunday night. The referees were sort of letting them play, and that's not a recipe for success for Duke, where um, the ball's inside a lot and Duke's not getting the foul calls, such that at the end of the game, Duke was trying to foul Michigan State to to draw free throws, and they ran out of time because they hadn't they hadn't committed enough fouls yet. Um, by the way, so by, that, by by let them play by let them play, you mean the refs were letting Michigan State hold, grab, push. Oh, I was, I, I think they were egregious. I think they were doing it. The referees were at least being consistent. I think that that it Michigan consistently State consistently awful. Well, consistently yeah. awful. It's not the way it's not the way I would have refereed the game, but at least they weren't calling fouls on anyone. It was sort of just like, look, they're like if there's if there's a lot of contact like with with guys going vertical and and people going for the ball, they're just not going to call a lot of fouls. That obviously plays into Michigan State's um into Michigan State's mindset, but but Duke didn't have a Duke didn't have an answer for that. And that was one of the challenges we saw this year and you know, if Duke had had developed more of a perimeter presence, then they could have they could have called a timeout, and Coach K could have said, "All right, no more running the ball into the hole and seeing what happens because we can't get the foul shots. Let's change it up." And that that never happened this year. Duke didn't have a safety valve for that. Um, so that I think was the was my big takeaway was Duke's inability on offense to adjust to the game situation and and deal with it the way that it was. And ultimately, that's what I think was the key for Michigan State winning this game and moving on to the final four. So I think the key, I mentioned this before, is the turnovers. The story of the game was that Michigan State did not turn the ball over at all, only seven turnovers, and Duke had 17, many of which were just careless and just awful, the worst kind of turnovers. Think about this, on the opening possession of the game, the very first time Duke touches the ball, we threw the ball to Javin Delorier, and he wasn't looking. The ball literally hit him on the head, and it led to an easy fast break uh, uh, dunk for Michigan State. Two automatic points, and the final margin was one point. I mean, I'm not going to go ahead and say, hey, take away that one stupid mistake where we threw the ball at Javin's head and we win the game. But in a game that was a one-point game, we gave away the opening bucket to Michigan State for absolutely nothing. And the crazy thing is, we talked about this in the pregame. We talked about this um, when we were previewing this, this contest. Michigan State is typically a team that turns it over a lot. We are typically a team that usually forces a lot of turnovers. Instead, this game was our second worst performance of the year in terms of turnover rate. The only game worse than this for Duke in terms of the rate of, you know, how often we turned the other team over was the first time we played um, Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech. And... It was our second worst game in terms of our own turnover rate. The only time we turned the ball over more than this was against Syracuse in the ACC tourney. So that funnels into my favorite stat. Gentlemen, what is my favorite stat? Oh, the field goal attempts. attempts. Field goal attempts, which incorporates offensive rebounds and turnovers. Michigan State took 70 field goal attempts. They took 70 shots. Duke took 57 we had to overcome a 13 field goal attempt difference to win this game. The only way you can do that is to shoot lights out, and we didn't. We only hit 52% of our two-point field goals. We're usually closer to 60. And and because, you know, because we were like five to seven points below our average on our field goal attempts, on our, on our two-point field goal percentage, that would have translated into one to two more field goals. 
my kingdom, gentlemen, my kingdom for one more field goal, one more field goal. And Duke is still playing. Donald, let me get over to you. I, I know you want to talk a little bit about fast breaks. God, I, we, we got nothing. We got nothing from them in terms of easy buckets, did we? You're, you're absolutely right. We got exactly that zero fast break points. They had 15. And in a year that we, you know, we're priding ourselves on our tempo and how many times we got out on transition to get easy dunks or layups or, or even three pointers on occasion, we got zero points from our fast break. And that was a backbreaker because that's our bread and butter. Uh, I talked in the pregame about rebounding and how we had to really rebound, out rebound Michigan State to have a chance to win this ball game. We actually out rebounded them by 11 on the glass. We had more offensive rebounds. We had more defensive rebounds, but when you have no, when you have 17 turnovers that lead to 24 points uh, for Michigan state, they had 15 fast break points. We had zero. We were negligible in uh, second chance points and they outscored us in the paint. So you're talking about some of the things that we have done well all year just did not show up for us. And I know it's easy to talk about the free throws and how we missed a couple down the stretch, uh, including one at the very end that would have tied the game. We were eight for 13, which is right about where, you know, just a little bit shy of where we normally are. Michigan state uh, was two for six. We actually made more free throws than they attempted. And that's where you want to be when you're talking about going to the line at the end of the day, like you said, they had chances to make plays down the stretch and Michigan state did it. And we did not. And that's why they're going to the final four. Hey, hey, Sam, can I ask you, I want to ask about the final few possessions and RJ Barrett, um, because uh, there are a number of narratives coming out of this game. And one of them is, uh, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've seen sports journalists retweet this one guy, I forget who it is, who who had a tweet out there where he said, you know, in, in Duke's losses this season, I forget the exact numbers, but um, something Barrett like in the final. R.J. Barrett takes all the shots pretty mm-hmm. much at the, at the end yes. of these losses. Yeah, Zion yeah. had like took one shot in in you know Duke's in the games that Duke lost in the final minute of games that Duke lost that he was at, and R.J. Barrett took like nine or ten or something like that. And he's something he was something like one of nine or or something like that. And so there's this whole narrative that. Um, RJ, I don't know that RJ was a ball hog. I don't know. I, I don't like, I don't, I, I think it's wrong. I actually think what I saw in this game, especially was Michigan state was doing an incredible job of shading and doubling and even tripling on Zion. When Zion got the ball, there were three guys in his way. Now Zion is a freak of nature and three guys is sometimes not even enough to stop him, but Michigan state did an incredible job. I've never seen a team stop us from getting the ball in the post design the way they did. So Sam, let me put it to you. What, what, what were you seeing at the end? Cause we got to talk about the final couple of possessions and what happened. Yeah. I think that Duke fans will probably take a long time from now to finish litigating whether RJ Barrett was, uh, was the player that deserved to be taking all of those shots at the end of the game. The fact is that, that he is really good at, at getting to the, getting in the lane and getting a bucket, and he can get buckets from angles that that most guys can't even dream of. He's got he's got all that body control. Um, he has all the all the touch, all the feel to take those shots. Um, but at the same time, the the team has to understand that there are multiple ways for them to score. And I think that 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 stat, Jason, that you were mentioning that that has sort of been around the internet 
every time Duke has had one of these close losses is telling. Um, perhaps it's telling of RJ Barrett, and perhaps it's telling of the of the coaching staff that they're not designing something that that is going to be more effective. Uh, one of Duke's biggest highlights from this season is Cam Reddish making the three pointer against Florida State to win win the game on the road. That is and the and the three pointer against Louisville and the, the three pointer against Louisville. Um, yeah, between the, the legs, three pointer. Yeah, those are the those are two of the biggest highlights for Duke this season, and they don't involve RJ Barrett driving at the hole. Um, and and that's not to mention even that Barrett has been an excellent passer, especially during this NCAA tournament. He he was able to find guys in a lot of different places when the defense was collapsing around him. So I, I think it's surprising that he ended up taking these shots. I don't I don't perceive him to be. That this ball hog, you know, we'll like I said, we'll we'll argue about this a lot. I don't think that that is the case for RJ Barrett. He scored a lot of points this year, and he's really good at it. You know, it's not like he's a bad, uh, it's not like he's a bad scorer. So you, know, he's, you want him? He's the second leading scorer in Duke history, right? In, on a on a single season basis, on, in a single like, season, yeah. And Duke's had a lot of awesome players, like a lot of great scorers have come through Duke. So he's the greatest. Um, he's the greatest ACC scorer among any freshman ever. I period. Think end of story. So I, I think that what I'm getting to here is that I, I think it's a little bit more on the coaching staff than it is on RJ Barrett. If RJ Barrett's in a position to score, he has learned all his life to score, and the coaching staff knows that. And they they sort of have to limit that inclination of his if um, if they want Duke to have multiple chances at, at the hoop. And and I'm surprised that it. It came down to this for Duke, especially as good as Zion was playing in this game and, and in previous games. Zion was Zion w- was in the process of taking his offensive game to another level, especially because he was hitting all those three pointers. So teams didn't know whether to sag off of him or or double him, you know, behind the three point line, double him down low, triple him down low. Michigan State, as you said, Michigan State was often sending three guys at him just to just to smother him. Um, so I think it was that Duke wasn't, wasn't really prepared for that. And, uh, I honestly, I think it's, I think it's on the coaching staff that, that it didn't seem like Duke had a plan when these games got tight, especially against a team as talented as Michigan state. And, and especially in this, if you think about how many close games we had in the ACC tournament, in the, in the, in the NCAA tournament throughout the year, you know, we had plenty of experience at these late game situations, um, and I think that's kind of where the frustration comes is that in all of those areas, we had a couple, yeah, you have the couple Cam Reddish plays. You even have um, against UCF where it, it, it was a, a rebound by RJ Barrett that went in, uh, or, or I'm sorry, yeah, an offensive rebound that went in. And, but for the most part, you saw the same play over and over, which is RJ going to the rack uh, and teams figure that out. And when teams figure that out, there was no way to – I mean, there should have been a secondary play or a secondary option, and there just wasn't one. I think that's where the frustration lies. So I feel like the story of the season, again and again and again, in games where Duke would struggle, and in games where we were successful, the story was always, could we find someone to complement RJ and Zion? Um, over and I mean, because those two guys were pretty consistently – great, you know, especially on the offensive end. And, uh, you know, while Javin Delorier, we should mention Javin had a, Javin had a double, double in this game. I thought, mm-hmm. and, and Javin was one of the major reasons we won that rebounding battle that you talked about, Donald, that was so, so important. Um, Javin was five of five from the field. Um, so Javin had a really nice game, but he's not, 
creating anything. Literally every single point that Javin Delorier gets is because someone else got it for him. Not to, you know, he's got to finish and, and that's great, but Jav is not creating anything. So the, the problem that Duke had all season long was finding that complementary piece on offense to RJ and Zion. And a lot of time, either Trey or Cam would step up. And unfortunately, in this game, neither one of them did. They combined to shoot four of 13. Um, they combined to only score 12 points. And, uh, you know, Jack White missed a couple threes. Uh, you know, Alex O'Connell, Marquise Bolden. We just we just didn't get anything else from anybody else. So it was RJ and Zion, and really there was nothing else there. Cam had a little run in the first half, but there was just nothing else there. And I think that was an absolute killer for Duke. And then the last thing, uh, and I, I hate to even go there. We talked a little bit about the refs. Um, I wanted to point out one thing about the referees. It wasn't just that they refused to call um, the many, many times that Zion and RJ were just brutally mugged or, uh, you know, when they were shooting or, or the times that, that Zion was held um, over and over again. They're, they're, they're videos, again, on Twitter. You can find them very easily of Zion Williamson uh, being, being held every time he tried. Like, it wasn't just that they held him to keep him from getting to a spot. They were holding him to keep him from jumping over them uh, and, and grab balls. Uh, that's why a lot of the turnovers that happened when we were trying to feed Zion in the post were feeding him high, and the Michigan State guys literally grab onto his shirt and hold him down so that Zion can't go up and get the ball. And the refs never called it a single time, never called it. But the thing I wanted to say about the referees that I think may, a lot of people may have missed in this game, it wasn't just when Duke was on offense. It was also when Michigan State was on offense. And Cassius Winston, great player, um, clearly the the most outstanding player in this game, um, and and an All-American and deserves all the accolades. Cassius Winston, when he faced Trey Jones, figured out very early on that he could push off, he could push Trey Jones away as a way of getting to the hoop. And he did it again and again and again. And I got, I just got, I was literally throwing stuff at the television um, in the second half when Cassius Winston would, he would start to drive into the lane. He would extend his arm and push Trey Jones away from him. And that would create the space he needed to do what he wanted. And the, and the refs just consistently refused to do anything about it. And it, uh, it, it's, it's so frustrating because it's not that you expect to get every call, but you expect, you expect the game to be officiated the way a normal game is officiated. And this one wasn't. I mean, the point about the, the lack of fouls that Duke had at the end where we needed to commit fouls to put them on the line, there's no other game in the NCAA tournament that was like that, where neither team was in the bonus at the end of the game because yeah. the refs had swallowed their whistles the entire second half. And, and what Jason, benefited Jason, Jason the, the, the challenge, though, is that is that Duke had to recognize that that was the case a lot earlier in the game and adjust to it. You know, you, you can't you can't switch the refs out during the game. What you can do is is recognize that they're not calling it and change the game plan so that you're not. Um, you're not throwing the ball inside every time for what previously are were you know w- what would normally be high percentage plays by by having the ball inside and, and drawing fouls in addition to getting the layups. When you realize that's not going to be a thing, you got to adjust and you got to do something else. And and they didn't do that. Um, well, they, they didn't and, recognize it, and 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 they didn't recognize it until it was too late. It was almost 
it, it, it was almost embarrassing that Duke was intentionally fouling when they only had three fouls on the board with with eight seconds left in the game. It's like, were, were, was no one paying attention to this being the case? Nobody was really in foul trouble. Zion got Zion got his third foul, but I don't think anybody got four fouls for Duke. Um, they had to recognize this this was this was the reality. Um, I, I think that that says something about the. Uh, about the team's attentiveness on you know to to what was going on and not being able to adjust. Actually, it says something about experience. Um, you're you're talking about the guys having to recognize what's happening and adjust to it. Um, I think that's an experience thing, but we're going to table that for the moment. We're going to get to the experience factor later on because we have a long, long conversation that we're going to have about it. Donald, I'll give you final word. Um, I, I, uh, wrap up, wrap up the conversation here. I just went to really quickly about the refs. Uh, we talked about kind of how inconsistent they were with and, and what they let go. Um, two of those refs, Keith Kimball and Doug Sermons, were selected to go to the Final Four. So that that should tell you that the NCAA also saw what – I mean, they saw what everyone else saw, and they said, well done, well done, lad. So I, I'm not – you know, I don't, I don't know what to tell you other than uh, what we're seeing is apparently what is allowing some of these refs to continue on in the tournament. Keith Kimball, by the way – will have will have refed 107 games when he steps onto the court for the final four on Saturday. It is by far the most a referee has ever done in one season of college basketball. Man, that's some good stuff, Donald. Way to go. I, I read. I had a lot of reading today. So this episode of the DBR podcast is brought to you by our two wonderful, wonderful sponsors. We mentioned them at the top of the podcast, GTHCGTH.com, um, Kenny Denard's outfit where they have all your go-to-hell Carolina gear, and they still have those sites on six t-shirts. And like we said at the top, use that, that promo code DBR if you want to get 20% off your first order there at GTHCGTH.com. And also, Bird Campbell. and I. I uh, you know, every so often we get this, and it's really nice and wonderful when we do. Tucker Bird of Bird Campbell um, wrote us a little note, uh, uh, you know, his thoughts on the season. I want to read it to all of you now. Um, he said, this year provided a ride like no other. This team's motto, earn everything, seems ironic in retrospect because the world put such lofty expectations on the team regarding anything less than a national championship as a failure. The team, it seemed, had everything to lose, yet Gamely took on all comers. In truth, this was a magical bunch, he says. A fun-loving, high-flying show that had fans cheering and even the occasional Tar Heel applauding. They represented all that makes Duke, well, Duke. In the end, we loved them not because they were perfect. They were perfect simply because we loved them. Great words there from Tucker Bird of Bird Campbell. And a reminder, if you are in Texas or Florida and you have legal needs, reach out to them at birdcampbell.com, B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. And again, guys, thanks for sponsoring the DPR podcast. So in just a moment, we're going to get to uh, looking ahead to the future of Duke basketball. But before we do, we have to look back, back all the way to the beginning of the season. Sam does this every year. We play our stats game where we try and do predictions. I know that there are some 
truly terrible predictions this year, maybe even one that rivals Donald predicting that Duke would score 100 points 10 different times a couple of years ago. And I think that year where you only ended up scoring 100 like once or twice. I think I have one this year that is just as ignominiously <laughs> bad. But Sam, this is your baby. This is your ball. Tell us all how the stats game went this year. Who did smart things and who did stupid things? So Jason, you you have a good handle, at least on the fact that you have probably the dumbest prediction uh, <laughs> but, you. but you're also you. you're also you're also coming away with a runaway victory overall in this game and i'll i'll tell you how it happened uh, so like you said we we've been doing the stats prediction game for a couple of years i think it, it's not it's not the most perfect way to preview a season but it, it is sort of a fun way for us to try to figure out where we're at at the beginning of the year and then and then take a look back at the end of the year so i think what was interesting this year is that we we had seen Zion in in the Canada games, um, but we didn't. I, I don't think we still knew exactly what this team was going to look like. I think we expected, uh, we still expected RJ Barrett to be by far the the alpha of this team, and and for Zion to sort of be the the side man. I don't think that's how it turned out. I think we expected Cam Reddish to be a lot more of a factor on this team than than he ended up being. So. Um, let me just run through some of these. We all predicted that RJ Barrett was going to score the most points on the team, uh, which he did. 860, as Jason mentioned, the, the second second biggest scoring season in Duke history, which is incredible. Um, but RJ and Zion basically averaged the exact same um, points per game. It's just that Zion was hurt for five more games than RJ was. So um, that that was the entire difference between their scoring output on the rebounds front. We all predicted that Zion was going to have the most. He ended up with 293, which is also an incredible number um, on the block shots. This was interesting. Actually, Zion only ended up winning the block, the total block shots by one. He had 59 block shots on the season and Marquise Bolden had 58 and Donald had had picked Marquise Bolden. Jason and I picked Zion Williamson. So Zion took that one. Um, assists, we all picked Trey Jones. That one wasn't especially interesting. Jones had 192 assists on the year. R.J. Barrett, surprisingly good assist man with 164, but but still well behind uh, Duke's starting point guard. Uh, <laughs> here was the first interesting one that, that we did not see coming, which was most steals. Zion Williamson led the team in steals with 70. Trey Jones was right behind him with 68. Nobody got points here from, from our group because uh, two of us picked R.J. Barrett and Jason picked Trey Jones. Uh, so I don't know why we thought that RJ Barrett was going to lead the team in steals. I don't know what we, Donald, Donald, what were you thinking there? Uh, I, I was thinking, sorry, sorry, Zion. Sorry, man. Yeah. That's my bad. <laughs> like, hey, hey, that's all I, I can say. Credit for closest, closest without missing. I, you Trey still would right there. I should worry. get some credit. Don't worry. You still win even without it. So, um, <laughs> to, to, to spoil the, the non exciting ending of this game this year. Um, uh, here was another good one that, uh, Jason gets a point for. And, and that I'm kind of just annoyed by is uh, highest field goal percentage, minimum one field goal per game. That was Javin Delorier, which, which Jason predicted Zion Williamson came in at 68% from the field for the season, which given his volume is just nuts. Yeah, <laughs> um, I predict I somehow predicted R.J. Barrett, which was incredibly stupid. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, but J uh, but Jason got a point for that because he picked Javon Delorier, which uh, which was a good pick. Uh, Javon Delorier, Javon sort of stupid, or I had to pick you Zion had no, you had Zion. Okay, um, right. so not a stupid pick. Um, but but Javon Delorier, another one who had um sort of a weird sort of a weird season offensively because he he ended up actually being 
pretty efficient when he had the ball. He just doesn't, he almost never has the ball in his hands. So that, that was an interesting one. Um, highest three point percentage. We all predicted Alex O'Connell. Uh, it was Alex O'Connell, although um, let's, let's not dwell any longer on Duke's three point shooting ability from this season because uh, it, 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 it wasn't all that thrilling. Um, total number of three pointers. I had predicted RJ Barrett. The two of you predicted Cam Reddish, which it was actually going away. He had Cam hit 89 threes on the season. Uh, total number of wins. We were um, we, we were trying to. T- I, I was trying to temper expectations and saying that Duke would only win twenty eight games. Donald was was going nuts and said that Duke would win thirty six. Jason only missed it by one. Uh, so Jason had thirty three. Duke ended up with with thirty two wins this season, which is still a pretty pretty damn good year. Um, I, I really considered. I really wish Donald had won. Yeah, me too. Yes. Yeah, I obviously <laughs> wish Donald had won. But but three more victories but, would be very very nice. Yes, exactly. Uh, true road wins. Duke ended up with seven. I predicted five. The two of you said six. Uh, this was this was kind of a tough one to pin down. Um, again, I, I was just I, looking back. It, it appears that I was a lot less confident in this team than you guys were. And the team sort of ended up splitting the difference because they came through on the talent. They did not come through on health, which was, was sort of the recurring theme all are, through the season. Are, ACC you counting, teams, are you counting beating Ace, uh, beating UNC in Charlotte and Virginia Tech in D.C.? Because I would count those. Ooh, that's a good. Uh, no, that's a no, good. No. That's a good point. I know. I no. know. Those are both neutral. But no. but yeah, <laughs> they're not. But no, uh, ACC teams in the tournament. There only ended up being seven. Is, did I get that right? There are seven ACC teams in the tournament. Yeah, it's um, an outrage, couple, by the way. It, um, which is what Donald predicted. Which is what Donald predicted at the beginning of the season. So Donald got a point for that. Um, nice. Total Zion Williamson slam dunks. Um, for some reason, we, we were all, all over. Thought, we all thought Zion was going to have a hundred slam dunks, and he ended up with like sixty some. Um, I didn't get the exact number, but I checked on the on the on the dunk thread on the DBR forum, and the last update was somewhere in the 60s. So Zion ended up with with something around 60 or 70 dunks on the season. I don't know why we all thought he was going to get 100. That's that's a that's a lot, even even with because, the injuries. Because we saw against Canada, he he like dunked like 15 times. In yeah, like but that's, one game. Yeah, but that, so. but but that's Canada. Like, also, we... did Bagley have like 90, and we figured that he would basically break that record yeah, yeah no, Bagley so. had like 103 or 104 i think yeah and we thought so he we were but i yeah. think honestly we were thinking that he you know he would dunk more than he did and that's kind of testament to how zion really took off this year is that he as we've said many many times he's not just a dunker we learned that this year and and right we we saw him we saw him have a lot of layups that probably could have ended up being dunks that were just easier to get points off of because he was able to lay them in sort of artfully as opposed to going for the dunk, which, mm-hmm. which I guess speaks to that same point. Um, now we're coming up on the one that I performed the best at, which is Jack White's total minutes. Jack White <laughs> ended up with 716 minutes on the season. I predicted 401, and I had the highest number. So none of us knew the extent to which Jack White was going to be a factor on this team. I, I uh, think you had won that one by Christmas. Yes, I something was something that, around there. Was it that so. late? So yeah, I was really. I was feeling yeah, especially because he because Jack White sort of fell off during ACC season, mm-hmm. uh, as as everyone remembers. But uh, so I came closest on that. So I get I I'm getting myself a point for that one. Uh, how many one? Wait, wait, you didn't point- have to get that exact. Wait, you uh, didn't no, have to he, get that exact. How do you get? A- didn't have to get. <laughs> I would have won the game if I had gotten it exact. Yeah, that that'd be um, bingo. Yeah, really. I would have given I would have given myself the victory there. Uh, how many hundred point games was Duke gonna gonna score this season? I had one. Donald had five. Jason had four. The real number was three. Uh, obviously the, the, the highlight of the season ended up being, 
ended up being that Kentucky game, which was the very first game of the year where Duke scored like 130 points and looked like they were never going to lose again. Um, but yeah, they only if ended up scoring 103 times. Con- if we'd done huh? this contest after that game, I definitely would have said 10. Yeah, no. Well, yeah. I don't know if you would have picked 10. No, no one's that stupid, but... Um, but, yeah, someone is. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> look, we look, we learn, we get better every year, and and we get smarter. And Duke brings in a whole new class, and then we forget everything we know. That's that's sort of part of the fun of of being us, right? Exactly. Uh, how many individual thirty point games was Duke going to have this season? I went high on this and said fourteen. Donald said six. Jason had twelve, and it was eleven. Uh, mm. I went back and I went back and, Ooh, and counted good. those up. So that was a that was a good job on on Jason's part. Although there were a number of games where guys had 27, 28, 29 and and got close. Cam Reddish Cam Reddish's high for the season was twenty seven, uh, but Zion had had six of these games. RJ had five, and uh, so that there you go. It was eleven thirty point games. Um, <laughs> here's the uh, <laughs> we're now coming to of course the most fun category. Which was Marquise Bolden total three pointer. <laughs> recap. I predicted oh. that Marquise Bolden would hit two three pointers. Donald predicted that Marquise Bolden would hit four three pointers. Jason Evans predicted that Marquise Bolden would hit twelve three point field goals this season. <laughs> no wait, but wait, folks, how many did he hit? Oh folks, Marquise zero. Bolden, Marquise Bolden was zero for this. He didn't hit a single three. He did take a couple. He did take a couple, but he didn't make a single one. He was um, zero for seven. He was zero for and- seven. And I think if he just hit a couple of those, like if if he'd hit like two or three of his first seven, he would have ended up taking enough to make my twelve happen. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I don't I, even know. I don't even know if that's true. I am as, not sure that that's true. As the owner of the what we thought was the stupidest prediction on record, I would like to point out that when I said that we were going a couple years ago that we would have ten one hundred point games, we actually got one or two. Um, so <laughs> I'm just saying, Jason, I will, pass I said 12, he didn't even, you. he didn't even attempt 12, three pointers. <laughs> so he's on the Marquise Bolden's Marquise Bolden is on the, is on the, the Plumley plan, not the Wendell Carter plan. Correct. Uh, and, and I think I've, I think I've made reference this season a couple times to Marquise Bolden sort of, uh, low key actually just being another Plumley brother. He's, he's basically got the same game, like, like bodies up on defense isn't all that comfortable on defense on the perimeter. Definitely, but has clearly worked on a handful of post moves that are effective if he like has time and space to execute them. Um, so Marquise Bolden, uh, it, it turns out Marquise also an M name. So maybe he is actually a Plumlee brother in disguise. Uh, and then finally, the the last stat that actually this was a this was an interesting one. Combined points per game for Zion and RJ combined. Um, the real number ended up being 45.2. Jason just barely beats out Donald on this one. Jason had 44, so he was off by 1.2. Donald had 46.5, so he was off by 1.3. Oh, and, God. And I, God and I, and I, I, I made sure I made sure not just to check it on on the basketball reference page, but I also went and actually like did the calculation to make sure that it didn't come out different when you added them up. Um, I did bother to check. If if Zion had busted through his shoe in warmups against UNC instead of yep. in the first minute, yep. I was just going to say this. I was just going to Donald say that. Donald would have taken. Yep. He dropped two points per game with that. In that, that's game. right. That's right. 
he right he 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 right almost two points per game was lost um as a result of him blowing out in in that first minute so if he, had, if he had done it four seconds earlier it wouldn't yep. have would have kind of zero point right um he did not I, I i was curious he did not register a trillion for that game because he did technically have a turnover as a result of yep. of the incident so um he registered a a, a one trillion one. Oh, it was a trillion and ten. It was a trillion and ten. Okay, uh, for for Zion Williamson in the in the home game against Carolina. So the the final score of the game, basically, if um, if it was an instance where there was a number to predict, the person who got closest gets it. If it was an instance where um, you had to pick the name of the guy, you had to obviously get the guy right. You couldn't just get like the guy who's closest to him alphabetically or something. Um, and you got a point if you if you picked the right guy, no matter how many guys picked you. Um, but nobody got points if everybody just picked the same thing, because that's not fun. So Jason ended up with eight. I ended up with four, and Donald got three. So Donald, you and I have to have to just do better next year, man. See, what happened was, the, the way my bank account set up, there's a checking and a savings. And at the time when we did this, I, I did my savings was kind of messed up, so I couldn't transfer from checking and savings. And yeah, I made some stupid picks. Yeah, look, look, we all make these mistakes. I, I'll, I'll relate. This. I had, wait, I had eight points, and you guys combined for seven points. So That's does that mean well, I'm no, smarter than we got I'm smarter than right both to... of you combined? Didn't I'm you smarter say than all... both of you combined? Didn't you say if all of us got it, then none of us? Yeah, got right, points? right, right. So, so I, so I, I, I removed uh, a lot of the no, redundant no. points. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. I'm smarter than both of you combined. No, 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 no. That's no, not no, how that works. And and look. And look, whatever whatever this proves, we'll come back next year and we'll do it all again, and and we'll prove that once again we don't know anything. And next year will be even more fun because we'll know even less about about the team than we did this year because we're going to return um, just as little in terms of production and have new guys that aren't supposed to be dominant. So, man, stay tuned for for DBR podcast episodes or uh, season six where uh, where we know nothing. Like even less than, no, even we less than, we, we, we won't even have the now. Canada. We wait, we won't even have the Canada. Right, exactly. We, yeah. we don't even, we don't even have those freebies at the beginning. We should Day- get an actual trophy and it should be like, I don't know, a, a basketball or something, maybe even like a headphone and, and or, or a microphone <laughs> and just have a little one that just trade that we trade from year to year. Really is just going to stay at Jason's house until one, either Sam or I win. If somebody we'll wants to, to sponsor, if somebody wants to sponsor the DBR podcast stacked, prediction game trophy uh, email us <laughs> email us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com we'll name it for you like if you know if your name was if your name was like jimmy we we could call it the jimmy yeah and, and we could we could That's pass it around good, um i'd be i'd be into that i would facilitate it if you wanted to pay for it because um, i think i think i think that'd be a lot of fun anyway i'll uh i'll check in with you guys again in uh in october for uh for the next edition of the stats game but but thank you both for playing again this year and uh and we'll do it again sometime soon it's i always am a lot of the fun. champion i'm the champion how yeah, many and, years and, in a row have i won this is like well seven years in a row i think no, no 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 i won last you year. Haven't been around so. seven years uh, yeah, we, <laughs> this is only the fifth season we've done this congratulations jason we're we're all very proud of you and uh, and we. I'm just waiting for an actual trophy so I can start winning. I, once I have some something tangible, was there something hit. on the line? Yeah, something on the line. Then then I'll do it. Next year, <laughs> next year it's going to be the all Justin Robinson version. We're just going to predict Justin Robinson stats for his <laughs> for his redshirt senior season. Um, so I hope you guys are ready to ready to do some research. I did read the other day that that Justin Robinson is uh, 
there was an article about him, I think either on SB nation or on the athletic somewhere that he is, I guess he, so he's a redshirt junior. So he's got another year of eligibility and he's interested in getting a business degree. So he might be my classmate next year uh, over at the business school. So I'm looking forward to that. There you go. Thanks. Thanks for doing it, Sam. Thanks for compiling it. And thanks for um, allowing me to win. And this is my, and this is my, my request to basketball reference, please track dunks. That would make, that would make your site a lot more fun. All right, gentlemen, it's time for us to look ahead a little bit. Time for us to start thinking about the 2019-2020 Duke Blue Devils. And to do that, toward that end, um, I got to do something very special this past week. I got to go to the McDonald's All-American practices and also to Media Day. Um, I, I, I got to, to see the, the guys that Duke already has signed and the ones that we're hoping to sign. Um, and uh, at Media Day, I got to speak to some of these guys. So before we get to my analysis of what I saw at practice and what I saw um, at the McDonald's All-American game when I watched it, uh, I, I want to let all of you have a listen to uh, some of the, the, the interviews that I did with these guys at Media Day. Um, I spoke to uh, the two Duke recruits uh, who have signed for next year, Wendell Moore and Vernon Carey. And I also spoke to two guys um, who are McDonald's All-Americans who are uncommitted. The Duke is looking to sign Matthew Hurt and Trendon Watford. Matthew Hurt um, uh, is, is sort of the most high-profile guy, but Trendon Watford is a guy who just very recently came onto Duke's radar. So um, I'm going to shut up now. I'm going to let you all listen to my interviews with those guys, and then we'll, we'll come talk about them a little bit, and I'll tell you what I, what I saw when I um, uh, got to see them play. All right, so I'm here with Vernon Carey. Uh, Vernon, bad news. You're, you're not able to play this week. Hurt your ankle. Tell folks a little bit about that. Um, three weeks ago, uh, I sprained my ankle coming down, landing on someone uh, in, my, in the regional state semi or something like that. Um, and, yeah, I've just been rehabbing ever since, and hopefully I'll be uh, ready for next week for Geico's. That's the plan right now. Um, and so we're not going to get to see you play this week, but you've got to see other guys play. Tell me a little bit. First of all, the guy sitting right next to you, your future teammate, Wendell Moore, tell me what you think of his game. Uh, versatile, um, finds teammates, makes people around him better, just a great leader. Hey, let's talk about your Duke recruitment for just a moment. Um, tell me what it was that ultimately sold you on coming to play for Coach K, or was it Coach K that sold you? Um, it was kind of both. Um, Coach K just being able to play under his legacy that he has at Duke and just the guys that come in and just um, produce for him and um, just being able to uh, play with uh, guys like Wendell and Boogie and hopefully we can get Matthew and Trendy to come. So that's just the plan right now. Yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a fun five to have. Uh, any interesting stories about your recruitment, about when you visited Duke, anything that you, you, know, that you experienced that you want to share with us that was especially memorable? Uh, I visited when uh, I think it was Countdown to Craziness. Yeah. I visited that weekend with uh, Wendell and some other recruits, and I, I just knew that was the right fit for me. Um, just being able to play in that environment, it's, it's, it's not like no other. It's more like no other. Uh, talk, talk about your game for a minute. What do you think you're best at? Because I think most Duke fans haven't had a lot of chances to see you play, or all they see is the U- YouTube highlights. That's not the real thing. So what are you best at? And then after we do that, tell me what you think you need to work on the most. 
Um, some of my strengths right now is just being able to um, just use my uh, strength that I have um, inside and being able to uh, step out and shoot shoot the shot that, that they give me. But uh, I feel like right now something that I can improve on is my defense and just me getting um, getting um, in college shape, I feel like, in, in college shape. Thanks a lot. We really appreciate it, and good luck next year, and we hope to see you in some of the All-Star games soon. For sure. Thank you. All right, with Wendell Moore now, and uh, Wendell, first of all, uh, tell me a little bit about what it's been like this week. You've been playing with some great, great players. Is that at all intimidating, or how do you think you've held up? Um, I think I've been doing pretty good. I mean, this is obviously something I'm used to playing on, on like, the UIBL circuit, playing USA basketball. I mean, but this is uh, this is kind of a different feeling. I mean, it's all 24 great guys. Uh, have, have you and uh, Vernon been working at all on the other potential Duke recruits here, Matthew and Trendon? Uh, yeah, we've been trying to recruit a little bit, but at the same time, we try to give them their space, uh, like, and allow them to do their own thing. I mean, because, I, I mean, like, just from my point of view, I wouldn't want somebody always in my face talking about, come here, come here. Uh, but, yeah, we're trying a little bit. Uh, talk to me a little bit about your Duke recruitment. Um, what was it that eventually sold you on the school? What was it like, you had, th- this is it, I got to go to Duke? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was just saying, like, life after basketball for me. Uh, I mean, because that brotherhood thing is really real. So, uh, I mean, I was always going to be a part of that. Did, did you see the video they put out just last week? Yeah. Yeah, it was great. With all those players, I mean... So many NBA guys in that video, uh, th- those are your dreams, I guess, yeah? Exactly, exactly. Uh, um, th- so uh, one thing people wonder a little bit about you, you're one of those guys who isn't necessarily an automatic one-and-done. I'm not saying I know no one makes decisions or anything like that, but what, what do you envision your path being um, uh, in college as you hopefully move on to a very successful pro career? I mean, obviously I hope to be one-and-done, uh, but my main focus in college is just to win a national championship while I'm there. I mean, just make our team as good as it as good as it can be, and, and I mean, at the end of the year, we'll figure out what happens. Fair answer. <laughs> I wasn't going to make you commit to anything. Don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, hey, talk a little bit about your game. What do you think your strengths are? What are the things that you're going to bring to the table? Um, I think, I, really, for me, I can do a little bit of everything. Um, I know I can play point guard. I can play on the wing. My defensive, my defensive versatility is really good. And, I mean, I think I'm, I'm just like a do-it-all kind of guy. And, and the converse to that is, what do you want to work on? What do you feel like, this is what I really have to get better at? Uh, for me, I, be, I, I want to become a better leader. Like, I think next year I'm going to be put into a situation where I have to lead a little more than I'm used to doing. Um, I mean, so that's just something I want to work on. So one thing I wonder, I know everyone runs their own race, but if you had to compare yourself to someone, doesn't have to be a Duke guy, it could be someone else, is there anyone that you feel like that guy's game sort of most resembles mine? Yeah. Um, I mean, if I had to say something, I would probably say somebody like Kawhi Leonard. Um, I mean, because he uh, he gets it done on both ends. I mean, he's not the most flashy guy. I mean, but at the end of the night, you're going to know that he was on the floor. Uh, he made a huge impact. That's a great answer. We would not mind if you were another Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> well, so thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Any message to the Duke fans out there as we look forward to next year? We've had a great run this season. I know you, none of you guys are going to be Zion Williamson, but what, what's the message to Duke fans for next year? Uh, Hopefully after we we get the sixth one this year, uh, me and Vernon can work towards getting the seventh one next year. I like it. That's the right attitude. Thanks, man. Thank you. So we're here now with Matthew Hurt, who is deciding among many different schools. I know you said you're going to make a decision in a few weeks. Is that right? Uh, April 19th, I think. You you, you haven't made up your mind yet, but you know when you're going to make up your mind. Is that how it works? Uh, Yeah. Uh, You know, I think uh, uh, 
I wanted to be around my birthday, and you know, I think April 19th would be the best day. Perfect. So talk to me a little bit about the different schools you're deciding among and how you're going to make that decision. What, you know, what are the things that are the pros and cons that, that make you lean one way or another? Um, you know, how, how comfortable I feel with, with, uh, with the coaches, teammates next year. Uh, you know, playing style, a little bit of everything. You know, I, I, try, I try to want to fit, fit in with any style, uh, you know, because I, I just want to show how versatile I am. Uh, so, you know, th- those are some big factors. So you talk about how versatile you are. Give us an assessment of your game. For most of us, all we see are YouTube highlights. Tell us what Matthew Hurts' games really is about. Uh, you know, I, can, I can shoot it from three mid range. You know, I, I, I try to put the ball on the floor as well. Um, you know, and defensive wise, you know, try to switch everything. Um, you know, because that's where the NBA is going, switching everything. Uh, having big men can uh, can guard point guards, and uh, having big guys guard big guys as well. And and what are the what are the weaknesses you think you have? What are, what are the things you want to work on? Oh uh, yeah, you know, getting quicker, <clears throat> getting more explosive, and also getting stronger. You know. Uh, uh, I, I want to guard four and fives in college as well, not just one, two, one, two, and three. So you know, just try to get, a, try to get a lot stronger, try to get my uh, handle tighter. Are you ready for this to be over? <laughs> you ready to pick a school? Oh uh, yeah, you know I'm ready, but you know I, I, the, the coaches didn't uh, overdo it. Uh, you know, just texted me a lot. You know, it, it was fun to me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just getting to the end of it. All right, well, good luck, Matthew. You know what school I hope you pick, but good luck to you no matter where you go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I'm here with Trendon Watford now, and. Uh, I have to tell you, uh, a, you know, a few weeks ago when I thought about coming to the, the media day and talking to the Duke guys who were here, your name wasn't on the list. It yeah. sort of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Talk, talk about that a little bit. Uh, you know, I got the, I got the call from uh, Coach Nate James, you know, right before the Final Four game, and um, you know, he ended up coming to my Final Four game also. But, um, you know, it was a great because, you know, Duke's a great school with a great coach, and, uh, you know, I feel like they're a great program. Uh, and have you talked to uh, the Duke guys who are here, Vernon and Wendell? Oh uh, yeah, me and Vernon are actually roommates here right now, so we definitely talked about it. We watched the last Duke game together, and uh, Wendell's like so my next door, my next door, um, you know, neighborhood basically in in the hotel. So I feel like you know that's definitely I don't know I don't know who planned that, but it, you know it's good on them. <laughs> it's like they're trying to t- tell you yeah, something yeah. there, huh? Yeah, I think so. Uh, so talk about your game a little bit because Duke fans haven't had a lot of chance to scout you and know about you. What, what are your strengths? What are the things you think uh, that you do out there that are really special? Well, I can do a lot of things. You know, I feel like I can pass, dribble, get the ball off the glass and push it and, um, you know, be able to knock down shots. You know, I feel like I'm one of the most versatile guys in this class. And uh, just with that being said, you know, I feel like, you know, that's what Duke basketball is, a lot of positionless basketball. Exactly. You've been watching this year's team a lot, I get, yeah. Vet, huh? Yeah, for sure. Uh, great guys. Um, and, and talk about your weaknesses because everybody's got to get better at something to, to move on. Uh, you know, I feel like I got to keep increasing my three-point ability. Uh, it only gets cut. It only gets you know the line goes back farther in college. So I feel like you know got to keep improving that. And uh, you know, just being just got to stay more versatile. Got to keep getting kind of got to keep doing a lot of things. And uh, you know, I feel like that's it. All right. So just between you and me, I promise I won't tell anybody. Are you going to come to Duke? Uh, I can't tell. You. I don't know you. I don't know you. I I, I understand. It's fine. Yeah. Thanks a lot, man. We appreciate it. Good luck no matter where you pick a school, but you know what? We're hoping. All right. Thank you. All right. So, folks, from McDonald's for allowing me, for pretending like I'm a member of the basketball media and allowing me to go to to see this event. It was a, it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. And hey, Jason, I, we I, are the basketball media. All right. Let's, let, let's yeah. not. Yeah. Let, 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 let's not pull any punches here. We're, you know, we're, we're very serious journalists around here at, at Duke basketball report. Yeah. So, so, so let me start with, um, 
uh, with what I saw. And then, guys, I'll get your reactions maybe to what you saw on TV or uh, or what you heard in those those interviews. Um, obviously, with Vernon Carey, as you heard from the interview, he was hurt, um, had a bad ankle. And so I saw nothing from him. Um, he's widely considered one of the top three or four players in the class, um, a big man uh, who can go inside and out. And everyone says he's really, really skilled um, for a guy his size. But I, you know, I can't speak to that because I didn't get to see it. Um, I will tell you that he is a big guy. Um, uh, this is someone who will not be pushed around in the paint. And and that's, you know, that's that's going to be a good thing for Duke. Um, Wendell Moore, uh, I was just very, very impressed with his um, – his quickness and his defensive footwork. Uh, I, 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 I didn't see a lot on offense from him, but uh, when he was on offense, he was looking mostly to facilitate. He didn't look to shoot a lot. Um, he's, he's not an alpha. He's not some guy who's going to come in, and I don't think there's any way he's going to average 15-plus points per game, but he's a great complimentary player. He does a ton of things really well. Look, we saw it in the McDonald's All-American game where he, he, got, he got assists, he got steals, he got rebounds. He did bank in a three-pointer in the McDonald's game, and he has a nice-looking stroke, but uh, he's not going to be a volume scorer. Um, he's, he's the kind of kid, I think, who isn't going to really wow you with anything he does, but he's going to do a lot of different things really, really well. Uh, and you heard in the interview where he said um, that his goal is to be one and done. I, I just don't see him as the type of player who's going to to produce enough that he will be one and done. But but we'll see. It's you know not out of the realm of possibility. Matthew Hurt is a kid, um, another top five recruit, just like Vernon Carey, uh, another big man. Um, he's really down to to Duke, Kentucky, and Kansas and North Carolina. Most people think it's. Duke in Kansas, um, and most people think he's going to end up coming to Duke. We, we will find out um, in uh, in just a couple weeks. Um, he has very long arms, really good instincts. I mean, one of the things that I I noticed out there, he was he was making lots of smart decisions. There were other guys, uh, and I noticed this at the practice. There were other guys who were trying to do spectacular but really stupid things. Even at practice, these guys are like trying to do crazy stuff, and Matthew Hurt just kept on trying to do the smart play. Um, I, I kind of like that. I admire that in the kid. Um, he's not a great athlete. He definitely needs to get stronger. He needs to work on finishing through contact in a big, big way. Um, he struggled finishing through contact. He seemed more comfortable on the perimeter than he did inside. But um, but he's clearly a guy who who's going to be able to score in bunches from the outside. And, and it's just a really, really skilled ball player for a guy as big and as long as he is. And then the last of them, just really quick on Trendon Watford. This is someone who's just recently got onto Duke's radar. Um, I was very impressed by his motor. Um, uh, he, he's lost about 20 pounds since the fall. He appears much quicker and more explosive without losing a lot of strength. Um, he's someone, again, who fills up the stat sheet. He had a bunch of rebounds and a bunch of assists in the McDonald's All-American game. He, he's, pr- he's not enough of a freak athlete to be one and done. The, Duke's main competition for him is Memphis. And I, I worry a little bit that uh, he will look at Memphis and see that he he could have a larger role there as a freshman than he would at Duke. If he comes to Duke, he you know we've got Jack White and Javon Delorier, Marquise Bolden, Joey Baker. There, there's just a lot of guys who play the same kind of position as Trendon Watford, who are probably going to be at Duke next year. And I think he would have, you know not a tiny role, but not a huge role as a freshman. He could have a huge role as a sophomore at Duke. I don't know if he'd be willing to wait that long for it. So anyway, 
sorry, I was going on and on and people who don't care about recruiting are probably fast forwarding or turning us off. And I, I apologize. Um, guys, what, what did you, Sam, you know, what, what, what were your thoughts on what you've seen from these guys or what you heard from those interviews? Yeah, I'm obviously most excited about Vernon Carey and the impact that he's going to make for Duke. I think we are sort of waiting and seeing, especially because we didn't get to see him at the McDonald's game for sort of what what type of big Vernon Carey is going to be. Duke has had uh, a fair amount of success the last couple of years with with these one and done big men, you know, looking at Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter, if you want to consider Zion Williamson a big man. Um, all of them have, have been different in their own way. So I'm not worried about Vernon Carey being able to plug in the way that a Duke fan might have thought would have been a challenge maybe 8, 10, 12 years ago. Um, so so he's definitely going to get a lot of opportunities to to be the best offensive version of himself. The question is, is he going to hit a lot of shots from outside or is that just talk? You know, is is he is he going to be taking three threes a game or uh, are we going to expect all of his production to come from the post? And then the other thing that I thought was interesting that he brought up um, was that he wants to uh, really work on his defense and his conditioning. Um, that sounds that sounds like a Jolly Okafor to me more than it does like a Wendell Carter. Um if you know, if if we're gonna if we're gonna start picking nits about about what's missing from his game, so I hope that I hope that his defense and his conditioning uh, gets a lot of work over the summer when he when he comes into Duke and and gets to work with the with the coaching staff and the strength staff. Um, the other guy that obviously I I, I want to focus on is Wendell Moore, who you know I I I only want to um I I, I only want to dwell on the guys that that are definitely coming now because you know these other dudes as you mentioned. Jason Matthew Hurt and Trenton Watford could end up at, in other schools next year. Um, but Wendell Moore, I thought, was interesting that he talked about his sort of life after basketball. Um, so while he's trying to be a one and done player, and we'll see if he's we'll see if he's good enough to to get to that point, um, he's picking Duke and and is and is coming to be a part of Duke because he thinks that it, it brings value to him outside of just that one year. So I, I thought that was really encouraging. It was cool to hear um, not just from guys who are you know, definite top two, three picks. Um, but but guys whose futures are maybe a little less certain that they sort of understand that the the value of being a Duke and playing for Coach K extends uh, well outside the lines of the basketball court. Hey, hey, hey Donald. Um, so uh, Trenton Watford doesn't even have a Duke offer yet. Um, are, are, are you surprised that he... Uh, that he has Duke as one of his top five. He hasn't even visited the campus yet. And he says we're one of his finalists. And a lot of people think, you know, we have a decent chance at him. I, I, I'm not surprised in the sense that uh, this kind of happens from time to time with recruits where they have their their choice of teams and maybe one team hasn't shown interest yet or, or if, at least officially, and they end up doing it anyway. But it is kind of interesting. Um, I think one of the uh, best parts of the interviews that you, get, that you had, um, which were all good, um, was about him saying that he was rooming with Vernon Carey and and is next to Wendell Moore. So literally, he was surrounded by the Duke recruits, and that you know they were talking about how he uh, he was saying that you know they're always talking to him about Duke, but not pressuring him. So I think that is an interesting thing that you know that sort of aligns itself. And and when he does eventually come to campus, or or if he makes that trip, I think that he will get an offer and. I think we have a really good shot at him, but I, I like watching the McDonald's all American game because you get to see how these players, uh, you get a little sense of how this is going to, how next year's landscape of college basketball is kind of going to look because 
you know, over the last few years, it has been dominated by these, you know, some talented freshmen. And, and you want to see who those talented freshmen are coming in and how they can complement those teams. And we're no exception. We're, we're, we're usually going to have one or two or more uh, McDonald's All-Americans coming through uh, the program. And I think that, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Kerry works his way in. But I think both him and Moore have a great chance of, of working in some things and really being pieces to a puzzle next year uh, that are still yet to be completed. You, you know, the last thing I will say, uh, and then we'll wrap up this recruiting talk. I, I don't know if you guys recall a year ago, the McDonald's All-American game, far and away, the best player in the game, not far and away, but the guy who won the MVP was Nasir Little of North Carolina, who who looked like an absolute world beater and uh, was the leading scorer in the game. R.J. Barrett was the second leading scorer. Zion Williamson had a pretty pedestrian game. And based on what we saw there, uh, uh, and, and actually, and the other thing was, I don't know if you guys recall this, I, I was raving about Cam Reddish and what a great ball handler he was and, mm-hmm. and how it looked like I actually thought that Cam Reddish was going to play a lot of point guard for Duke this year when when Trey Jones was resting and stuff like that. Um, it just shows you how little we actually know about what these guys will be once they actually get on campus and start playing versus what they are in these all-star game situations. Um, yes, R.J. Barrett was a scorer and and turned out to be a scorer, but there was no way you could tell at this game a year ago that Zion Williamson would turn into you know one of the all-time greats uh, or that, you know, Nasir Little and Cam Reddish would have disappointing seasons that saw their stock go from being top three picks down to the bottom of the lottery, perhaps. So, you know, why did I bother to go? <laughs> All right, folks, so it's parting shot time. And by the way, um, something we teased at the start that we didn't get to um uh is the the uh, we're gonna have a long conversation here about one and done and uh, every duke fan is sort of talking about and thinking about this theory of you know is it a mistake to have all these freshmen and rely on them too much and you know we're not going to get into that um uh, we, we'd hope to have that conversation we're going to put it off probably for a week or two um we will be discussing it but we're just running really long and we we want to wrap things up at a at a reasonable pace and and this, uh, this podcast is whew, getting to be a long one. So, uh, Sam, I will go to you first for a parting shot. Don't talk about one and done. <laughs> Tell me what it is you want to uh, wrap up um, the, the regular season podcast with. Well, let's say that that in my case, it's the two and done, which is the the grad school plan that I'm on right now. I, I want to talk about just briefly how cool it was this season to be back on campus and experiencing Duke basketball like not just with you guys over the internet as I have for the last five years, but also sort of every day when I, when I went to school and, and saw all my friends and um, got to go to all the games. It was, it was a, a really special experience getting to see this Duke team live, you know, the, the dozen or so 15 times that I got to see them. Um, they were obviously very talented. They were a lot of fun to watch. And, and even though uh, I did a lot of griping about the grad student ushers this season, it was still, it was still a ton of fun to be uh, at Duke and in Cameron for all these games. So um, just wanted to to echo, I think, a lot of the sentiment that I've been sharing throughout the season and that you guys got to experience the couple times that that you came to games, um, just how awesome it is um, being at Duke and and getting to go to these games. It really is. It really is a special event. Um, anytime you get to go see a game in Cameron. I was really envious of you all season long that you got to 
relive what we all went through in college, uh, at least for for a little while uh, that that you're down there, Durham, uh, as a grad student. So uh, I'm glad you I'm glad you enjoyed your first year, uh, and, and it it was I'm glad that I was able to join you in the stands for you know three or four games. It was a lot of and, fun. And Donald, we'll, I'll I'll definitely see you again next year, guys. We're we're definitely going to do the live show next year. I know. Oh, that yeah, we, for sure. We talked about it. We we said we were going to do it this year. It never came together. Uh, I've got my I've I've got a much better hang handle on how things work around here now, and I will definitely make it happen next season. So uh, stay tuned for when the basketball schedule comes out in the fall, and we'll uh, we'll we'll commit better to to picking a date. Does that work, Jason? Absolutely, and I look forward to it. Uh, Donald, your turn. What what you got for me for a parting shot? Uh, so I talked about it a little bit at the top of the show. Um, obviously, the games were here. Uh, the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight games were here in D.C. And I, I just want to talk to you guys. And, and I know, Sam, you, you're from here, so you know exactly what I'm about to talk about. Uh, but this town for, you know, 72 hours was a Duke City. And it was so, so awesome for this place to be Duke City for once. Those of you guys out there who who don't realize what DC is, everybody who lives in DC somehow hates Duke, whether they be a team, whether they go to Maryland or they're a Virginia Tech alum or Virginia alum or an alum of some other uh, other school, everybody ends up here in Washington DC and everyone ends up hating us. And walking around town in Duke gear is not the easiest thing to do here in DC. But for 72 hours, I was surrounded by nothing but Duke blue, and I loved every second of it. It was like I, I, I'm, guys, I'm celebrating my 15 year reunion in two weeks. Uh, so Sam, See I'll, you be, there. I'll be back yeah. on campus. Uh, but it, it, it's awesome because I got to do that this weekend. There were so many people that I knew that came into town for the games, whether they came into town from you know the West Coast, the East Coast, from down south or up north. Even if they didn't have tickets, they came to be a part of this Duke family. Um, the the Crimson pregame party that we had on Friday, which was uh, just before the game started, um, probably had 200 people there. And there were definitely at least 25 people there that did not have tickets. They were just there to take in the atmosphere with fellow Dukies and to be surrounded by those Duke Blue devils that we all know and love. So that was a lot of fun to see. It was a warming site. You know, Sam, uh, I'm glad you got to come up and experience it with your dad. Uh, I'm glad other, you know, friends of mine that I hadn't seen in years were able to come down and get into at least one or both of the games. So uh, for all of you who came to DC from someone who lives here in DC and has to deal with the torment uh, from other fan bases, 363 days a year, I'm glad that for at least two and a half days, three days, that this city was ours and let's do it again soon, whether it be in Durham, whether it be here in DC, uh, when the ACC tournament is here in a couple of years or wherever uh, we decide to take over because when Duke takes over, we take over and you guys showed out. We appreciate it. Yeah. I, I was thinking to myself, I've probably seen Duke play in the NCAA tournament like 10 or 12 times in my life. And the game on Sunday, unfortunately, the game we lost, the game on Sunday was the first time I think I've been to a Duke NCAA tournament game where Duke fans made up the made up the majority of the arena. So especially jarring to have it in Washington, where Donald, as you noted, there are not normally a lot of Duke fans at the games. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was that was a pretty cool experience. You know, normally, if you see Duke in the state of North Carolina, it's going to be all Carolina fans. When I went to the 
championship in 2015. It was predominantly Wisconsin fans. There were almost as many Kentucky fans who were just sort of hanging around Indianapolis and going to the game as there were Duke fans at that game. So uh, th- this was a this was a cool, different, exciting experience. All right, guys. So for my parting shot, I'm going to do a little history lesson with y'all. Um, the decade of the tens is over. This is 2019. We're done with the decade, and so it's time to anoint the best team of the decade of the tens. And I'm going to put in my vote for the Duke Blue Devils. <laughs> Not a surprise, but I, the the numbers really back me up, and I want. You know, it's impossible at a moment like this not to be frustrated. We feel like, you know, we feel like we had a team that should have won a national title. We we were blessed with Zion Williamson, who I'll go ahead and say it, the greatest freshman in college basketball history. Sounds like hyperbole. Sounds crazy. Do either of you disagree with me? Probably not. Zion Williamson, greatest freshman in college basketball history. That's what we had on our team, and we feel like we were cheated. And so it's hard to have a good feeling about it. But I, I want to recap this decade because I think folks will feel pretty good when they hear what this decade meant. Obviously, there were two national titles. But but think about this. Um, Duke was either uh, the national champion or number one in the land, considered the best team in the country seven out of the 10 years of this decade. 2010, we won the national title. 2011, we had Kyrie Irving, and everyone remembers how great we were early in the year that year. 2013, um, Mason, Seth, and Ryan's senior year. We started the season barely in the top 10. That team was undefeated through early January. We were number one in the polls, and Mason was having a stud senior year. Um, we, We eventually lost to Louisville in the Elite Eight, but in 2013, everyone thought for a while that Duke was the best team in the land. 2015, we win a national title. Actually, an irony about 2015, that team was never once ranked number one um, because Kentucky was number one all year long. But we were the best at the end. We won a national title. 2017. And, and, and yeah, the DBR podcast debuted. Amen. So Made it an pretty, even better season. That was pretty cool. 2017, I mean, Harry Giles never really got healthy, but but Tatum was great. Luke Kennard exploded. Um, that was the year that we started out preseason number one, and we stayed number one for quite a while. And we eventually went on to have four wins in four days, something that's never been done before to win an ACC title. 2018 last year. And, and, and Grayson Allen tripped a bunch of guys for some yeah, reason. Yeah, I left that out, but yes. Well, you got to get a fair accounting of, of everything that went on. I, I hear you. You got to have a well-balanced meal. In, in my notes, it said the season of Allen's tripping. I didn't say it, but that was in my notes. <laughs> um, 2018 last year, I mean, look, Marvin Bagley, who was, you know, arguably the greatest freshman at Duke until Zion Williamson stepped on campus. Uh, Wendell Carter, uh, I mean, uh, you know, we spent the entire season pretty much in the top five, lost in the Elite Eight to Kansas when Grayson's shot hit 57 different parts of the rim and then didn't fall down. Um, but clearly, Duke was one of the teams that was considered the national title favorite then. And then this year, we were number one basically all season long, um, and we had Zion's magic this year. So, again, seven of the ten years of the decade, Duke was at some point number one um, or, or the national title winner. Um, we had two national titles during the decade, three Elite Eights, two Sweet Sixteens. We made the and uh, we made the NCAA tournament every single time. So I want to go back to where I started with: Were we the best team of the decade? I mean, the other contenders you'll you'll find out really aren't that much a contender. Um, UConn is the only other team that won two national titles this decade. Uh, they only made the tourney four times. 
they were never a number one seed. They happened to catch lightning in a bottle twice, and UConn won two national titles. But, I mean, if you only make the tournament four out of the ten years of the decade, you're not the team of the decade. UNC won a national title. Uh, they reached a Final Four. They had two, two Elite Eights. They've got, didn't they have two Final Fours? Well, they, plus, the, yeah, national title and the Final Four. Right, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So that's a total of two. Um, and uh, But they missed the tourney completely in 2010. Remember, they played in the NIT that year. I, oh, I, I do. 82-50. I do yeah, remember that. that. <laughs> that's somewhat disqualifying. And only having one national title, only two Elite Eights, or two national titles and three Elite Eights, I, I think Duke has the, the edge there. Villanova let, is let, the other. Let me let me keep let me keep poking holes in in, in all of Jason's no, uh, options yeah. here. We, we move the goalpost by one year, and UNC's got arguably the best team of the last eleven years. So, um, right. you know, other okay. than that, it's, but that was it, a different decade. So, yeah, exactly. Decade, so, dude. so we don't we don't totally make the rules on decades. Look, yeah. you, we didn't we didn't write these rules like the Romans did or something. Yeah, exactly. It's real. It's real simple. Two thousand nine does not count as part of the two thousand tens. Uh, so Villanova also won two national titles. Again, Duke, Villanova, UConn, three teams to win two natties. But other than those two national titles, Villanova didn't even reach another Elite Eight. And they had one season where they were 13 and 19. I mean, you know, again, I feel that's somewhat disqualifying when you have other teams that did the same things they did and more. So the other competition, it's really Duke and Kentucky. Duke has two national titles. Kentucky had one. Duke had only two Final Fours the two years we won those national titles. Kentucky had three other Final Fours. So they made four Final Fours this decade. They Both teams had three Elite Eights. But the reason I think Duke gets the edge, not only that we have more national titles, but do you remember Kentucky completely missed the tournament one year? And they lost in the first round of the NIT. <laughs> to Robert Morris on the road because they gave up their home game for a concert. Nice. So, in my unbiased opinion, Duke's two national titles, three Elite Eights, two Sweet Sixteens, and making the tourney every single year gives us the edge as the top team of the decade. And that's my final answer. I would, I, I, I appreciate this analysis. If Michigan State wins the national championship next week, they, they would be in contention there because I think they've made three or four Final Fours in this decade. And have been obviously, you know, right at the top of college basketball basically every season. They've obviously lost to Duke more than they've won, but but Michigan State was another was another good one. I know Syracuse has fluked their way into a couple of Final Fours uh, in this decade, so um, so that's cool. Gonzaga obviously broke through for the first time, um, and and has been sort of an elite team all the way through. But Michigan. there's obviously there's yeah, Michigan Michigan uh, made it to two national championship games, never won any of them, um, although. In 2013, they are officially the team that came the closest to winning the national championship. So um, you have to you have to respect that. There have obviously been a number of teams that have that have sort of reached reached the, either the peak or, or very near the peak in this time. Uh, those Wisconsin teams in the middle of the decade were obviously really good, but yeah, for for sustained getting into the tournament, being a top seed, I think Duke's lowest seed in that during that whole run run was a number four. Uh, Duke never lower than a number four going all the way back to uh, being a six in, in 2007. So uh, even though uh, I think that it's less, it's less fewer deep tournament runs than, than Duke fans had gotten used to maybe in the eighties and nineties um, still a, still a very successful program, especially when you look around at college basketball and how often 
teams are changing. And Jason, it was interesting that you mentioned Kentucky. Did you guys see the news today that John Calipari is now the uh, the coach for the life owner for of life. a of yeah, a yeah. of a lifetime contract with the University of Kentucky? So that's uh, no that's no April Fool either. That that actually and they, yeah that, yeah it wasn't an April Fool. They just they just went and did it. Yeah. Um. Right after right after he he missed the final four by by losing to a rival. Um. So you know whatever got to do what you got to do. And I will add uh, to close us out. You know. We you just talked about all those stats, all these teams we mentioned, right? Um, I, I think that shows you how how difficult it is to win a national championship. Like, you know, people the haters will let you know, especially uh today, they'll let you note that this season was a failure because Duke didn't win. And now we could be disappointed and frustrated that we didn't win the national championship, but this just shows you how hard it is to actually win one. You have to have a lot of things come together at the right possible time. And after all that happens, you still have to have a little bit of luck. And sometimes you don't have it. But if you think about all those teams that we're talking about, the Michigan States, the Kentuckys, um, the Villanovas, they've had, they, you know, every year they are considered a good program and they didn't make the title game every year. They didn't make win a championship every year. They didn't even make the tournament some years. But for us, that sustained level of excellence that we've had, um, not just this decade, but in the four decades that we've had where, uh, you know, a guy by the name of Mike Krzyzewski was head coach, that just shows you how difficult it is to win a national championship and to be successful year in, year out, and why Coach K is the greatest coach we have ever seen. Well, I can think of no more fitting, better way to wrap up this podcast than with those words. Donald, thank you very much for saying that. Sam, thanks for chiming in as well. That's going to wrap it up for us here on episode 157 of the DBR podcast. We know it was a long one. Thanks for sticking with us all the way to the end. Just because the Blue Devils season is over, our season of bringing you content, whatever you want to call this stuff, does not end. We will be back uh, in the very near future, probably in a week or so, to to talk about things going on in the world of college basketball, things going on that affect the Duke Blue Devils. By the way, we desperately want to do a mailbag show. We want you guys to email us. Please, please write to us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. If you do and we read it on the air, then you'll be famous. (laughs) Or something. Yeah, something like that. Uh, so reach out to us, please. If, if you've got a comment on the season, if you have a question you want to ask us, we want to hear from you. Again, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, for Sam and Donald, I am Jason. Again, thanks to all of you for joining us. And thanks to the Duke Blue Devils for having a great, great season. I know it's a disappointment that we didn't make it as far as we wanted to, but oh my gosh. What a wonderful, wonderful ride it was. One of the most enjoyable seasons to watch ever in Duke history. And we close it out by having the Duke band once again play us home. The golden age of travel is back in the Palm Beaches. As America's first resort destination, the Palm Beaches are the gentler side of Florida, waiting just for you. 
From Jupiter to Boca Raton, sun-kissed sands embrace the warm Gulf Stream waters. Our vibrant blend of people, cultures, and coastal towns welcome everyone. So we invite you to join us. Experience the original, the one, the only, the Palm Beaches. Plan your trip at thepalmbeaches.com.